know we'll have to make this short, but I see there's 52 participants on. So let me get ready to share my screen here. And I also have promised you a quiz too at the end. And hopefully that'll work as well. But we have uh, one hour and 15 minutes. So don't worry too much. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. So uh, let's so, see. Uh, get this. Yeah. Can you see? Uh, can you see the screen now? Yes, we can. Would you right. mind that we start with a prayer? Yes, that would be great. And if you could close the session with a prayer afterwards, and then we have still a bit of a question and answer session. Great. We'll be glad to do that. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to meet online and also to have our speaker, Dr. Natalie, uh, with us. Please anoint him with uh, your Holy Spirit so that his lips are um, messengers um, of your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for all the participants which are coming from around the world. And please keep all, um, um, all things a part of us so that we are not get, getting interrupted. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, thank you so much. And yesterday we covered the first four days of creation. Uh, and uh, those principles can work in positive neuroplasticity to change the brain and actually change it in positive ways, um, even on a permanent basis after uh, weeks of utilizing these principles. Uh, but I also mentioned how it can improve in as little as a week to 10 days if we incorporate all these principles to, together and, and be transformed dramatically. But those changes won't be permanent unless we continue those principles uh, for an entire um, 20 weeks. So let's go right away to day five, uh, since this is part two of this series. Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And so we see on day five of creation, we have the, the dry land, we have the green plants, uh, we have the, the water, we have the atmosphere, we have oxygen, we have nitrogen, uh, we have all of the uh, light, we have uh, the light and the darkness as well that we went into how key it is to get both of those principles uh, incorporated. But uh, this says now there are going to be things in the waters <laughs> and they're gonna be moving. Uh, and there are going to be things in the air, and they are going to be uh, moving. And of course, these are, are live um, creatures. And uh, one of the things in regards to uh, healing the brain, we had, and it's been used for a long time, uh, is music. And interestingly, in regards to uh, uh, birds, uh, we have, uh, let's see if I can go the other direction here, sorry. Uh, I think I'm only, yeah, now I'm going the right way. Uh, birds actually produce the music of heaven. Uh, and if we slow down bird songs, 
I don't know how it was after creation and before sin came into the world, but if we slow down bird songs today, they are actually all on a pitch. They're on a, uh, uh, so they're singing notes and every melody is actually in a minor key. Leonard Bernstein, um, I actually knew about this. I did a lot of work in slowing down bird songs. And minor keys can actually have beautiful melodies, but there's something deeper about them. They bring about a pathos, a reflection. There are some changes that are taking place in the brain. Johann Sebastian Bach, who was writing in an exciting period of the Reformation and Bible truths, wrote a lot of actually happy uh, melodies in a minor key. Uh, fast moving and energetic, but brought about more pathos. And a lot of his cantatas and those sorts of things brought about that pathos as well. And uh, we now know that melodies with consonant harmonies uh, can produce some very positive effects on the brain. Of course, uh, King Saul, who suffered from depression and anxiety, it was harp music that helped him. And these melodies don't need to be overpowering. They're actually better if they're softer. This is one of the advantages of the harp. You can't play it too loud. Uh, and uh, it's very difficult to uh, play uh, anything but uh, straight rhythms on the harp as well, as opposed to syncopated rhythms. It's not really a syncopated instrument. And so harp music lends itself very well to healing of the brain. And we utilize harp music in our program. Also other forms of of melodic classical music have been shown in nice randomized controlled trials to uplift mood, to actually improve cortisol levels. There's biochemical changes taking place. And so the music of heaven is part of what can happen to us in helping to recreate uh, our brain. Uh, let me click here, here we go. I'm getting this to work now. Uh, most people seem to care only about the effects of the music while it's being listened to or experienced. However, much more important should be put on the after effects of music. And there aren't a lot of studies that have looked at that. A lot of people get this idea that self-selected music is best because it's the music that the person enjoys. And of course, particularly there are music, uh, forms of music that can be addictive, syncopated Rock and roll rhythms, if you listen to them for a while, can actually have an addictive characteristic. And we understand that alcohol, of course, is addictive as well. And people that are alcoholics, they can actually improve their anxiety by drinking, going back to alcohol. And so short term, it seems to help them, but long term, it's a major problem. And the same can be there for music. So even though the music might be soothing because they're fulfilling their addictive element, it's not really frontal lobe enhancing. And so we should not just look at the effects of the music while it's being listened to, although that can also be interesting and there's been a lot of studies on that, but we really need to look at the after effects of music. And there have been some careful studies uh, done on this. This was a, a study on the effects of different types of music on mood, tension, and mental clarity. And melodic classical music was actually um, also looked at in comparison to rock and roll and also new age music. You can see the, 
the authors of the, of the actual music that was being studied here. And the grunge rock, uh, rock and roll from the uh, more classic band Pearl Jam increased hostility, tension, sadness, and fatigue. Those are all bad things when you're increasing hostility, you're increasing your tenseness, you're increasing your sadness, and you're increasing your fatigue. But notice what it decreased. It decreased caring for others. It decreased the mental clarity. It decreased the ability to relax. And it also decreased your energy level. A lot of people listen to this music because they think it's energetic, but it's long-term, it is actually, or after the music is over with, you're gonna have a letdown. And that vigor is going to go away. This is why some people seem to have to have music piped into them all times, even when they're running or exercising or whatever, because uh, without it, they just wouldn't have the energy or motivation to, um, to do so. And their vigor would actually decline far worse than it was before they listened to the music. New age music, which is more just chords and sometimes dissonant chords, um, New Age music uh, actually did not show as bad a function as rock and roll music. Um, mental clarity got worse. Um, vigor and energy got worse. Uh, it is kind of sedating music and it kind of makes your mind go off into, into never, never land. Uh, fatigue got worse. Sadness got worse. But it did improve the ability to relax, unlike the rock and roll music. It improved tension and an improved hostility. So three areas of improvement and four areas of worsening. What about the melodic classical music? That actually improved hostility, it improved fatigue, it improved sadness, it improved the ability to relax, it improved vigor, so energy went up, and it improved tension but there were no features that actually worsened. So the hostility went down, the fatigue went down, the sadness went down, the relaxation vigor went up and the tension went down, uh, but no worsening of any features. However, this last bullet point is worth considering. Harmful music had a far greater negative effect on the brain than healthy music helped the brain. And so we'd actually be far better instead of piping harmful music into us, we'd be better going out and listening to the music of the birds. You know, it's a beautiful thing in the morning when, our, when I, my window is opened and I am awakened to the sounds of birds uh, before dawn. Uh, it's beautiful, they're happy, they're, uh, they're joyful that the new day is dawning. Uh, and uh, it actually uplifts my spirits as well. And uh, this is a far better way to go. Although, of course, we can have music that is even more deep and enhancing that's created by uh, humans that are inspired by the principles of, of God's music. Interestingly, regarding stress and anxiety, like I mentioned earlier, if you have stress and anxiety and you just have silence, it will improve by six points. But if, if it's self-selected music, and this is because self-selected music is normally not healthy music, self-selected music, at the time you're listening to it, it improves three points. But if the self-selected music is heavy metal music, uh, it's gonna worsen three points. 
And so this seems to be one of the worst forms of music, although there are probably others that are just as bad. Uh, that, uh, well, I could I tell you about a study my son did among animals up here in Weimar uh, showing that uh, techno music and a lot of this other type of music is very harmful to the animals' brains. But interestingly, it improved the most eight points with those assigned to listen to classical music. And so uh, this, is, of course, is better than silence. And uh, this uh, was a nice uh, uh, comparison trial and uh, applied uh, psychophysiology. And so uh, we could go into a lot of studies, but essentially um, the randomized controlled ones, um, those are particularly when you look at after effects, cortisol levels, those sorts of things, you're gonna get it back to essentially these six principles. And it doesn't have to necessarily be classical music that was written back in the Baroque era, although that universally shows marked improvement in those who listen to it, even in those who don't like it uh, improve. Uh, but the principles are that it that does need to have a melody. It can be simple yet attractive. Beautiful non-dissonance harmonies. Dissonance are more of your jazz chords. Uh, this is where the blue note comes in. It's kind of between two notes. And uh, then uh, there are notes that are played too close to each other or sung too close to each other. When we're centering in on those notes, which are harmonies that sometimes occur without any syncopated rhythm. It doesn't have to be a jazz syncopated rhythm um, to uh, have that harmful effect, although that's adding to it. But even music that's often played in religious services that centers in on dissonance actually is not healthy for the brain. And we can have those harmonies when we're transitioning from one to another, but to center in on it and to even end music on dissonance, which has become popular today, uh, is not healthy for the brain. It doesn't really give the brain something solid to hang on to. And we get this, uh, it actually leads into more mysticism, uh, which is not as healthy for the brain. Straight or march rhythms, uh, as opposed to syncopated rhythms. Straight rhythms are going to be like a march. You know, onward Christian soldiers is a, is a straight rhythm. Uh, and uh, the hymns uh, primarily in the hymnal are, are straight rhythm hymns. Syncopated rhythms are gonna be your boom cha. And uh, so the emphasis on the boom is the first beat and the cha, where you have that symbol high-pitched uh, contrast is the second beat. And after the boom cha, boom cha, boom cha, you don't really wanna march to that. You wanna stand up and swing your hips. And so if it makes you want to dance and swing your hips, that's a sign that it's syncopated rhythm. If it makes you want to march around the room, uh, that's a sign it's a march rhythm. And uh, the syncopated rhythms after 90 seconds to three minutes, the frontal lobe really starts to go down. So an occasional syncopated rhythm from one measure or transitioning from one place to another or for variety for a measure or two, that's not harmful at all. But we're talking about the continual syncopation and popular music has that signature behind it. Almost no matter what genre you find, you are going to find that syncopated rhythm, uh, which um, in, in yesteryear was not all that prominent uh, in the music for you know, almost 6,000 years. And uh, the last, um, you know, uh, since the 1950s, 
Uh, it has gradually taken over almost every genre of music. Uh, and it turns out not good for the brain, one of the reasons why we have more depression and anxiety. Rhythm less prominent than the melody and harmony. The melody and harmony should be a paramount and the rhythm more subdued. If the music tells a story, if you can imagine a scene that goes along with that, what a difference that can make too in regards to brain enhancement. And it's also additionally enhanced with reverential uplifting music. So if it seems to uplift you above um, you know, yourself, something grander than yourself, uh, it uh, can produce some very positive effects. And so in our program, we not only teach these principles, we are playing them music um, that will have this. And of course, we also um, uh, don't have them with devices here. And we also tell them they're not to listen to any music that's not part of the program so that they can get away, they can withdraw from the music that they may be addicted to, and they can really start on a better uh, pathway. But uh, I think the Lord wanted us to uh, uh, be a musical. Obviously, the angels were very musical. Mankind has tremendous musical ability with their frontal and temporal lobe, and it actually encompasses all aspects of the brain. And it can even help our IQ. Einstein, who was sent home in the third grade, saying that he would never amount to anything. He'd have to be a janitor or something. And his mother started giving him violin lessons and as a result of the violin lessons and actually learning to improvise, once he learned to play the violin, to be creative, he said he would go to his violin whenever he had a problem to solve. And that music would help his brain uh, to do better. And of course, uh, how brilliant his brain became as a result of the music uh, that was helping to transform that brain. So this is Nathan Green's painting of our Lord creating on the fifth day of creation, uh, kind of an amazing uh, picture there with the birds and the waters and the movement uh, in the waters. Day six, and there's more that we could say on day five, but I also have to have the time, uh, uh, be time sensitive because we want to have questions and we also want to have a quiz um, as well. And so uh, uh, to see how you've done on the learning and also to um, see the major principles. But day six, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. And this living creature after his kind, of course, it goes into more than that. The animals uh, were created. And also the final act of creation is demonstrated here by Nathan Green. You see first the animals uh, there being uh, created with the beautiful vegetation in the background. And then you see mankind uh, instead of the words being spoken and mankind coming forth, how he took time to create man out of the dust of the ground and then was getting ready to breathe into him the uh, breath of life, uh, which uh, he may be backing off after that breath there because we see the light occurring and we know that this light was like a garment in human beings according to the Bible and the book of Psalms prior to the, um, uh, the fall of mankind when that uh, light uh, went away and then clothes uh, became uh, required. Uh, and so uh, some principles in day six, um, after he created man, he also gave him work to do, uh, to work in the garden. 
And although physical exercise is very good for our brain, and aerobic exercise and becoming fit is actually better for our brain than it is our body, sometimes we neglect the work that can be done in three dimensions. And this also stimulates the frontal lobe of the brain. Working with one's own hands in a real-world 3D environment is actually imperative for full cognitive and intellectual development. And it's also imperative for healing of the brain. The last, the, the posterior part of our frontal lobe is where our hand function is at. And typing on the keyboard is not going to do it. Uh, you know, touch screens are not going to do it. These are, we live primarily now in a two-dimensional world which is impairing uh, the brain's ability. I think that's why we've gotten to the post-truth era uh, where truth doesn't seem to matter anymore because people don't have the frontal lobe ability to even discern it. It's all about feelings. It's all about the limbic system um, and no longer about the discerning of what is accurate or not. But with woodwork, metalwork, craft music, or car mechanic classes dropped by many schools, and children wanting to play computer games at home, the Western world has really become a software instead of a screwdriver society. And that has resulted in significant negative effects in regards to the brain. Research is showing that increasing time spent in the virtual of computers is displacing hands-on play and hands-on learning. And this is a whole nother aspect we could go into is the marked increase in depression and anxiety hit when in any society so far that it's been introduced, when 50% of the society owns a smartphone, you are going to see a dramatic rise in depression and anxiety in the group that is utilizing those smartphones if they're utilizing them normally. And of course, this is taking them away from real world life experiences. It's not like the time that they did this is now added on to time where they're working in 3D and face-to-face -face communication. No, it comes at a significant cost. And of course, there are some elements of the actual uh, way people utilize online material where they're continually getting distracted. One of the things I would encourage you to do if you're on Zoom today and you have push notifications, chances are you're going to be distracted and uh, you'll see a push notification come in. You might miss a pearl and you might see how badly you do on the quiz <laughs> that's coming up. And you thought you were listening to it the whole time, but when we change our focus of attention, the anterior cingulate gyrus of our frontal lobe actually starts to shrink down. And this is the area that we need to manage distressing emotions. And so our brains are now driven to distraction as a result of these devices. And it's not healthy at all for the brain. This is why we take people, the first lecture we give in our residential program is about devices. And then we tell them why we're gonna be taking their devices away from them for these 10 days. In fact, for many, they'll need to be away for six weeks because of their addictive nature they have to devices. And the brain will take six weeks to recover if you're addicted to a device. Uh, and then what we put in its place is hands-on, Sometimes play, we have some games that are hands-on, we have hands-on um, learning, and 3D learning allows young people to experience how the world works in practice, to gain an understanding of materials and processes, and to make informed judgments about abstract concepts. And uh, this is, um, is crucially uh, important. This is why if you don't know how to work with your hands in 3D on a regular basis, and I actually recommend regular in our program, we're having them do at least 20 minutes a day of 3D activity. 
Uh, you may not want to fix your dishwasher. You may want to let your, you know, wash the dishes the old fashioned way. You may want to start to cook again. That's working with your hands in 3D. You might want to start learning to play the violin. That's also uh, doing that. You may even want to, um, you know, go out and, and uh, play a game of volleyball where you're having to utilize your hands. This is one of the issues I have with the most popular European uh, sport, which you're not allowed to use your hands at all. And so the frontal lobe is not as involved uh, in that sport. Uh, but if we're having to utilize our hands, even playing ping pong or tennis uh, can have uh, some advantages. But one of the best ways of using our hands in three dimensions is working with our hands in agriculture. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve were doing on their uh, first full day. Uh, contact with naturally occurring species of soil bacteria causes the body to release vital immune chemicals called cytokines. These in turn spur the brain to produce the neurotransmitter serotonin. We know that some of these cytokines can activate the nerves that relay signals from the body to the brain, lead researcher Chris Lowry said. Bristol University researchers said these studies help us to understand how the body communicates with the brain and why a healthy immune system is important for maintaining mental health. They also leave us wondering if we shouldn't all be spending more time playing in the dirt. And so there are positive neurochemical changes that take place when we are working in the soil and when we are working with our hands. And I think this was one of the greatest uh, gifts God gave Adam and Eve was this ability to keep and maintain the garden as well as working on planting. And uh, we see some significant benefits from that, even in modern era. I could tell you about a person I met in Botswana three years ago. He's 112 years of age and uh, he's now 115 and his mind is still sharp. He's not uh, bent over or stooped. He teaches his weekly Sabbath school class and he is a gardener. Uh, and he also has early to bed, early to rise, uh, something we didn't quite point out yesterday, but I can just mention every day of creation, it says the evening and the morning were the first day. And we know Christ, the creator, when he was here, he would get up before daybreak and he would go out into a solitary place and pray. There's advantages of being up when the sun comes up. Uh, and it helps to set our body clock. And this individual would go to bed at eight o'clock every night and uh, before eight o'clock, and he'd be up at 3 a.m. to cook breakfast for his fellow workers. He owned a farm, an old fashioned farm where tractors aren't used, but you're just working with your hands. And uh, he was also a plant-based vegetarian that he became at age 40. And he was out in the sun every day, out in fresh air. And it helps us to realize our humanity, even though it is fallen, even though it's prone to disease, if we keep all of the new start principles, and I called him Mr. New Start, nutrition, exercise every day, water, sunlight out there in the African sun every day. He lived a very temperate, simple lifestyle, fresh air and rest, and his only day off. He worked 11 hours a day at 112. I imagine he's still doing that now. I told my friends that we're seeing him, I said, this guy is unlikely to die under the age of 120 unless he dies from an accident in the farm. You know, there can be accidents in the farm and 
you can get injured and that could set them back a ways. But uh, our, our bodies and brains are very capable. Um, and one of the reasons why agriculture is, I think, an important element if we have opportunities to partake in it because it can help us in so many ways. Interestingly, uh, this is one of the comments of a, uh, an individual. This effect may explain in part why people who are not exposed to dirt in childhood have higher rates of allergies, asthma, and even mental health issues as adults. And we now know allergies are all time high because people aren't being raised in an agricultural society. But also the simple act of picking fruit or vegetables, whether from a garden or in the wild, causes the brain to release the pleasure chemical dopamine which activates the brain's reward centers. This is why people in agriculture are harvesting, and uh, particularly if they're able to even uh, save their own food and, and eat it, it actually is mental health enhancing. Uh, Robin Francis, a famous writer, says, I've often remarked on the great joy I feel when I forage in the garden, especially when I discover and harvest the first of the season and the first luscious strawberry to ripen, or emergence of the first tender asparagus shoot. I've also often wondered why I had a degree of inherent immunity to the retail therapy urges that afflict some of my friends and acquaintances. In other words, other people that don't have the access to agriculture, they seem to have to go into false ways of altering the way they feel, like go shopping or other forms of retail therapy where uh, people with the gardens, they're kind of immune to that. They don't seem to need that. Uh, and maybe as a long-term gardener, I've been getting a constant baseload dopamine high, which has reduced the need to seek other ways to appease this instinct, he said. And of course, there is scientific evidence for what um, he is saying. And so uh, uh, I, day six, I would like you to think of physical exercise, but also working with your hands and if possible, working with agriculture, which can produce so many positive benefits. In our program, we have a, a time set aside for what we call farm fun. And at first these patients, you know, they have to pay money to come to this program. At first they're thinking they're getting free labor out of us in regards to the farm, which, you know, we are getting some. When you have 20 patients and staff out there working in the garden, a lot of positive things can happen. But although they begrudge it at first, even after that first time, you ought to see the smiles coming back as they're through with their farm fun and the talk and all of that, it produces a, a social bonding as well. And uh, many of these individuals have never been out in a garden. And uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating that even they have a, a very positive experience and also accomplished work done. You can see tangible work uh, that has been completed. And that's uh, really the background of day seven. Uh, day seven of creation was the Sabbath. And uh, this was the day to uh, stop work. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, a time of reflection on creation, a time of reflection on redemption, what we call Western meditation. And uh, unfortunately, most studies have been done on Eastern meditation. But I can tell you, if you get into the data of Eastern meditation, it does not show improvement in morality. It does not show improvement in comprehensive self-control. And uh, even those steeped in Eastern meditation, when they start studying those things, 
they recognize that it comes at a cost. Yes, it might make you feel calmer at the time you're meditating and shortly thereafterwards. Uh, and so it can have some positive effects. But its negative effects on morality, I, I should have put the study up here, but if you're wanting it, uh, you could email me uh, and I could send it to you. Uh, but there were five randomized controlled trials done on Eastern meditation because the Eastern meditation gurus all teach it that this is going to improve our morality. It's going to improve our relationships. It's going to improve our ability to, to meld well with the universe. And uh, they said, you know, we need to really prove this and not just say it. We all know it's true. Uh, and it turns out they thought it was true just because of the feelings that it brought. But when they actually looked at it objectively, they realized it was diminishing morality significantly. And after five randomized controlled trials, each getting bigger to try to prove this point, which couldn't be proven, uh, the, uh, the lead meditator said, uh, perhaps we should teach Eastern meditation with an ethical construct. Well, if you teach Eastern meditation with an ethical construct, that actually now becomes Western meditation. <laughs> And uh, that ethical construct is, is prayer and actually focusing in on truthful themes that are grand themes that do have things to do with morality and ethics. And it turns out that is where we can have a far better response in regards to the brain. And so we explain for those who want to, we don't do a whole session on Eastern meditation here, but some people ask, why don't we do this? Because this is what was done in their psychiatric institution there. And then we show them the studies, and then we also show them the meta-analysis that shows that these um, uh, very limited benefits that you're getting. And uh, the problem with Eastern meditators is often they never look at the consequences. Same thing with devices. When we got these devices that came out, people were looking at the positive connectivity points, but they weren't looking at the cost, at the complications. And uh, the same is true with Eastern meditation. When we start looking at that, it actually doesn't come out very good. And a lot of those studies, it was really unethical studies to not look at potentially adverse effects that can come forward. So uh, this is the day of creation that Nathan Green has put forward. Uh, the seventh day, the communion with the creator and uh, being out in nature. And again, listening to things that are truth and filled with love uh, and having this day of not working and just reflecting. Interestingly, Sabbath keeping has now been studied. A little bit of background on this. Uh, this came about as a result of the Blue Zones. The Blue Zones, if you remember, are where the longest living people are on planet Earth. And uh, uh, back over a decade ago when this was studied, uh, we found out that Okinawans uh, lived the longest, uh, also Sardinians, and those from a very small location in Costa Rica, uh, and uh, Sardinia is off the coast of Italy, and then uh, Southern California, Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, and it, with those groups, actually, out of those groups, the Adventists were living longer than anybody else, so they were the longest living people, the most impressive blue zone. But there was something else impressive about them, and that is they were actually their offspring. If they were continuing in the religion and the practice of it, 
they were living longer than their um, than their fathers and mothers. But in uh, all of the other blue zones, the offspring were living less. Longevity was decreasing, not increasing. And uh, the study's author, who was not a Seventh-day Adventist, was looking at the similarities between the groups. The similarities were plant-based diet, physical exercise, uh, family stability. Uh, but the differences uh, in the, the Southern California Adventist group was Sabbath keeping. And he raised the question, could this be having an effect on their health? Well, no one had really studied it. And so it was um, studied uh, uh, shortly thereafter. And uh, it was Loma Linda University. And of course, we had to come up with good control groups there. The control group were those that didn't keep the Sabbath or those who, who did not keep the Sabbath but kept Sunday. And it turns out that group was pretty hard to find because although there's a lot of Sunday worshipers in America for a control group surrounding them, very few of them keep the day holy. And to keep the day holy, this is what's required. So they had to measure this, not shopping, not reading secular magazines, not watching or listening to news or sports programs, not attending secular concerts or theatrical events, not working, not engaging in commercial activities. And so this is, um, this is what Sabbath keeping um, is, and it and occurs from Friday night to Saturday night. Now, in regards to Sunday, they might keep it from, you know, just the day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Or, or, you know, 12 hours of the day, etc. But it was a harder group to find that were actually keeping Sunday holy, but they did find enough to have a control group. So they had two different control groups, and uh, it was pretty interesting in comparison. There was a significant correlation between Sabbath keeping and what else? Mental health. Now, this really uh, piqued my interest uh, because, of course, we run mental health programs. Greater Sabbath keeping was associated with more religious coping, more religious support, healthy diet, and more exercise which in turn were associated with better mental health. However, pairwise comparisons, this is a statistical way of, of looking at things where you can draw some pretty firm conclusions, showed that both religious coping and religious support each had a significantly greater effect than diet or exercise on mental health. Now this is incredible uh, because our program is centered in on the science behind diet and exercise. And of course, other things that can help. But we talked about diet yesterday on day three, uh, how a plant-based diet in 14 days produces a significant benefit. We talked about how physical exercise is better for the brain than it is the body. And of course, we're having them participate in these activities that will greatly help the brain. But what we found out is that in regards to mental health, Sabbath keeping is actually even more important than diet and exercise. The study went on, avoidance of non-Sabbath activities, performance of spiritual activities, so it's not just avoidance of those things, but you're performing spiritual activities on that day, and performance of communal Sabbath activities where you're actually meeting uh, uh, together uh, and worshiping the Lord, were all independently associated with improved mental health. 
So if we broke down those three things and looking at them independently, they all had an association in improving mental health. However, keeping the Sabbath out of social pressure, duty, shame, avoidance, or performance of secular activities on the Sabbath, or electively thinking that helping people by working for them without pay on the Sabbath was okay, like paying their house, these were all independently associated with an actual decrease in mental health. So in other words, if your Sabbath keeping was just doing work for others for free, uh, that, uh, that didn't help you. <laughs> and it, it didn't have, in fact, it worsened um, uh, things overall. And so the Sabbath actually is a day to pause and to rest. Now, if we want to work generously to help others, other days actually have been shown to be beneficial for our own mental health when we do this, but um, not on the Sabbath day. But interestingly, what did Jesus say about the Sabbath? He said the Sabbath was made for man. And uh, this, of course, uh, we now know is true. Uh, science has demonstrated, uh, demonstrated it. And so uh, we actually model Sabbath keeping on the last Sabbath. The first Sabbath, they're actually doing it, but they don't quite realize it with the activities that are going on. But on the Friday beforehand, uh, we actually go through these studies and we talk about how we're going to model church attendance. We also model church attendance as well. And so they actually go to church. And of course, even if they're Sunday keepers, if they're church attenders, studies show that is beneficial for them. So we want them to, to go to church, whether it's Sunday or Sabbath. Um, but uh, there is an additional advantage of, um, of Sabbath keeping. And uh, this is something that really has helped our program uh, significantly in transforming lives. And it may help them to also get connected wherever they are to a group of Sabbath keepers in their area. Because if you keep the Sabbath, you're more likely to continue with a healthy diet. You're more likely to exercise. You're more likely to do these other things. And part of their success is getting into a, uh, a, a group of friends, new friends that can actually support them in this lifestyle that is going to be dramatic in improving um, their health. So once the Sabbath is understood, but not followed, it's a symptom of a cognitive distortion called disqualifying the positive. Interestingly, each of the commandments, and this is a whole new section, we wouldn't have time today, but there are 10 different ways of distorted thinking that we teach our guests and our patients. And it's important to recognize all of us are prone to these distorted thoughts. I think distorted thoughts uh, at times. And I have to recognize, wait a minute, I'm overgeneralizing. Or wait a minute, that's emotional reasoning. Or wait a minute, this is disqualifying the positive. And if we know about the Sabbath, which a lot of Christians do, but they don't keep it, the idea behind this is God wants me to be happy. And so why can't I do what I want to do? And I'm sure if he wants me to be happy, he'll just let me do what I want to do. Well, it's true. God will let you do what you want to do. Freedom is a primary principle of God's government. But what he's saying is the Sabbath was made for you. And if you actually trust me and restrict yourself uh, for that one day and do what is best on that one day, it'll actually help your mental health far more than you doing what you want to do on that day. And that's what the studies have actually demonstrated. And so uh, when we decide to go our own way and think this is no big deal, um, studies have shown that Sabbath keepers still have bad things happen to them. They'll have divorces, they'll lose their job, but they're able to live above the fray. They're not, they don't get as down in the dumps 
as those that don't keep the Sabbath, and they also have more elevated mood when things are going right as well compared to someone else who isn't a part of that. And so this is an important principle of creation that I think needs to be um, emphasized more in regards to uh, mental health and the benefits um, for it. And so uh, the creator is also a God of love. The Bible says God is love. And it's not just what he does, it's who he is. A loving, compassionate, merciful God. And this is an important element of healing as well. Another important element of healing is recognizing the creator God is truth. In fact, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so truth is synonymous with him as well. In fact, it's so synonymous that God tells us in his word that he cannot tell a lie. Uh, you know, in other words, he's never going to be where deceptions and lies are at. Um, I suppose, you know, as a free moral agent, he could if he wanted to, but he, he puts truth above himself. And so this is an important element of healing is thinking true and accurate thoughts and acting upon true and accurate thoughts. So one of the principles of improvement is, is actually helping them to understand that emotional comfort comes by first thinking the truth. And of course, Christ told us this. He said he would send the spirit of truth and the spirit of truth would provide comfort. And so, and that's why he's called the comforter. And this is the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy, which are so true. Cognitive behavioral therapy says there's an acting evading event, but then it's our belief and then the emotional consequence. Traditional therapy goes right into A to C thinking meaning we go from the activating event to the emotional consequence and we're not actually putting our human element of what our thoughts are about that event in place and it turns out our thinking has far more to do with our emotions than what is actually happening in our life and if we're continually thinking true and accurate and non-polarized thoughts it brings significant comfort and it can bring comfort right away when we when we correct a distorted thought. And so a lot of our program is centering in on cognitive behavioral therapists, having them learn the principles of correcting their distorted thoughts and getting into the practice of it. It turns out that among humanity, 80% of individuals thinking is negative and 95% of those thoughts are repetitive. And so, and many of those thoughts are distorted. And so we need to uh, really work on that aspect of things. And one of the ways of working on that is doing what Christ did every morning. He got up a great while before day, he studied the word and he prayed. And the devotional life can bring our thoughts on things above. As Colossians says, let your thoughts not be on things down in this earth all the time, but daily let's set our affections on things above and things that are of ultimate truth. And actually studying the word can actually help us to recognize the errors in our own thinking and expel them from our soul. And this can produce a dramatic improvement as well. And of course, the creation itself was based on God being a loving God, as well as all the truths that went in to this creative power. 
and all of this design. Uh, and so those two things came together to produce this created world and all of the created beings therein. And the nice thing about these principles is they are, will also be involved in recreating the brain and producing this tremendous transformation. Truth and love are paramount in healing the brain. And we, these two tend not to be so emphasized so much in psychology today. Interestingly, Ellen White says, the influence of the spirit of God is the very best medicine for disease. She says, heaven is all health. The more deeply heavenly influences are realized, the more sure will be the recovery of the believing invalid. And this is an important element, a very important element in our program. One of the things that's consistent across the board, no matter who is here from whatever walk of life, is they talk about our loving staff. Uh, and they talk about how they're treated with such mercy and compassion, but yet accountability. Uh, because if they don't get up, if they don't get their light therapy on time, those types of things, but it's done in such a loving, compassionate way, keeping them accountable, making sure they're exercising, making sure they're, they're doing things with their hands in 3D, uh, making uh, sure that their sleep is on time, and uh, you know they're out in fresh air and they're deep breathing, all the principles that we've talked about are many of these principles. But done in such a loving, compassionate way, they can sense the Spirit of God moving on our staff, and that actually begins to produce some tremendous changes, even in our atheists and agnostics and people that uh, are in deep trouble uh, when they come to our program. Interestingly, also from um, Ellen White's sickness of the mind, she says, prevails everywhere. Nine-tenths of the diseases from which men suffer have their foundation here. And of course, we might say, how can that be? You know, we have heart disease, we have cancer, we have all these other diseases that are not mental illnesses. And nine out of 10 diseases are not mental illnesses. Well, when we take a look at, for instance, heart disease, we know how to prevent it. We even know how to eliminate it through diet and lifestyle. So if it's still the number one killer, the problem isn't the heart anymore. The problem is our brain in regards to self-control, comprehensive self-control. 80% of cancers could be prevented if we would put into action what is healthiest for our body. And so 80% of cancers actually could have their origin in the mind by not having self-control. When we look at sexually transmitted diseases, lack of self-control, when we look at diabetes, yes, genetics loads the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger in over 90% of cases. And diabetes could actually be avoided if we would have a good brain and have comprehensive self-control. But then there's other issues as this text goes on. Perhaps some living home trouble is like a canker, eating to the very soul and weakening the life forces. So much of dysfunctional families, of course, have a role to play in mental health. Remorse for sin sometimes undermines the constitution and unbalances the mind. This is where the area of forgiveness, of course, comes in. And being able to uh, put our sins at the foot of the cross. There are erroneous doctrines also of that an eternally burning hell and the endless torment of the wicked, that by giving exaggerated and distorted views of the character of God have produced the same results upon sensitive minds. Infidels have made the most of these unfortunate cases, attributing insanity to religion, but this is a gross libel and one 
which they will not be pleased to meet by and by. The religion of Christ, so far from being the cause of insanity, is one of its most effectual remedies, for it is a potent soother of the nerves. This is the true religion of Christ, where there is truth combined with love that produces these positive uh, uh, changes. In summarizing the creative principles that God utilized to create this world, there is a statement in the book Education that's worth considering. It says this, the creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts power. It begets life. That's E equals MC squared. We talked about that yesterday. How that energy, the word of God imparted power and begat life and mass and moving masses. Every command is a promise accepted by the will received into the soul, it brings with it the life of the infinite one, it transforms the nature, and recreates the soul in the image of God. And so this is a vital power for the healing to be transformative and lifelong. And uh, I'll just uh, tell you a couple of stories so you can get an idea of this. I see we're only going to have, uh, let's see, I think uh, we have 15, uh, 17 minutes left, and we want to have time for uh, questions, and we were hoping to have time for the quiz as well. Uh, but uh, a couple of, and this was just uh, in the last um, couple of programs. We had a woman come to us who was a devout atheist, and she had problems uh, primarily, she thought, with alcoholism. Uh, she had actually been to Alcoholics Anonymous. She had tried to give up alcohol herself. Uh, she was a highly functioning alcoholic. She worked in the daytime, but she was destroying her life in the evening with alcohol. And she also was with a husband who also drank. She loved this husband. Uh, but uh, both of them were devout uh, atheists or at least agnostics. And uh, when she went to AA, um, they talked about a higher power. And they also talked about let go and let God. And she got angry at them. And she said, you'd do a lot better if you would give up this God thing. This is silly. And um, she walked out in a storm and she thought, I am not coming back to any of this because it doesn't fit my belief system. And uh, I'm just gonna find another way to get better. And so she tried all sorts of ways to get better and she could not get better. And uh, her profession, she's a high-end hairdresser um, in Arizona, and her profession um, came to a halt when COVID hit. And so our first COVID program, we were not shut down with COVID because um, mental health is still essential and physical health is essential. So Weimar kept on going. And, uh, but since she had time now, um, one of her clients who she was um, fixing her hair told her about our program and how it has such su success with addictions. And so she looked it up and she saw our published material even in our data and she realized this is a far better approach as far as success. But then she realized it was a Christian-based program. And the, she told the hairdresser, you know, I'm not into Christianity or God at all. And the hairdresser said, well, look at their statistics. 
if it works, you know, why not try it out? And so as a result of this, she came with an open mind. And she thought, if it's going to require belief in God, if it makes sense, then why wouldn't I do it if it's going to help me get over this addiction? So with this open mind, she entered the program. And she was just having aha moments at every lecture. She was enjoying all of the activities. She says this was like heaven on earth, the staff, the relationship she developed with the other patients. It was just amazing to her. And on Friday night, I actually went over the first, uh, we had been teaching them the 10 distortions. And those 10 distortions are well described by secular psychotherapists, Dr. Beck and Ellis and others. So we were going over all of the, 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 the secular ways of looking at the distorted thinking. But then at the very end on Friday night and Saturday morning, we go over the first four commandments on Friday night and the, and the next six, because we say this is the only portion of scripture written by God himself. So let's take a look at it. We're told to meditate upon it. And we have them look for the principle, the one word principle in each of the 10 commandments. And so it's an exercise, but then they also have to compare that principle. Once they identify the principle, that principle counteracts particularly one of the distorted ways of thinking. We already went over that in regards to the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the principle behind the Sabbath will, dis, dis, um, will get rid of disqualifying the positive, which is a common uh, cognitive distortion. And so when she learned about the Sabbath and the command, she says, why is it? that Christians worship on Sunday. So I explained to her about the Sabbath um, versus um, of Sunday, uh, and also explained um, of the role of the, the largest um, Christian um, church um, in their statement that they changed it to Sunday, and they believe in the Bible plus tradition uh, and Protestantism is about the Bible and the Bible only. And so um, one is a Protestant way of thinking about it. One is the more Catholic way where you have both, um, both of those things together. And uh, there were other Sunday keepers there. They were listening to this as well. Um, but I was just trying to make it simple. But I said, we love all the Sunday worshipers. We love the Sunday keepers. We want them to endorse these Christian principles as well, and they'll get better with it. But the next morning on the walk, she wouldn't let it go. And she was still thinking about this command by God for the Sabbath. And uh, that morning, she says, you know, my life is so changed. I want to actually, I realize God is in this program. And I want to actually give myself to God. And I want to keep all of these commandments. She actually wanted to be baptized right in our program. Our, our chaplain wouldn't do that. She needed to learn more about it. But when she went home, it was an adverse environment because her uh, husband had not been here. And she, he was very upset that she had become a believer. And she says, well, it's helping me. I'm, get, I, I'm not going to go back to alcohol. I have the grander themes. You need to try to understand all of this. And, and so, uh, but yet, uh, despite the adversity in her relationship as a result of taking hold of it, she still loves her husband and is trying to lead him in the right direction. And you can see how even the secular minds of Europe could be greatly enhanced. Secularism is greatly increasing in this country, and we see tremendous benefit from people coming through our program and seeing what true Christianity is actually about, which is extremely attractive. 
one in the last program was uh, 15, was she 15 or 17 uh, year old girl? We had uh, uh, eight in our program that were under the age of 20 because depression is so prominent. But um, she had been reading popular books. First it was Harry Potter books, and then I don't, I'm not familiar with all these authors, but it was talking about the stars and being one with the universe and reincarnation and those sorts of things. A lot of teenagers are reading more popular books than Harry Potter books now. And she began to cut herself. Um, she began to say things to her mother, what if I um, go out to the stars and don't ever come back. She was thinking of ending her life. Uh, and uh, her mother came with her to this program. Um, they were first Catholic, but her, her mother had, had become disenchanted with the Catholic Church over the pedophilia issue because she had dealt with pedophiles and realized how messed up they were because of being introduced to it by the Catholic Church. And so they had become more new age and more psychic. They had even gone to a psychic before uh, the program, uh, as it was introduced to them by a, a friend of her uh, daughter's um, that was a Seventh-day Adventist. And um, so they were very much into this realm when they came here. And as a result of everything going on in the program, plus the cognitive behavioral therapist actually talking to them about serpent theology, serpent theology what is the theology that thou shalt not surely die. Uh, and how dangerous that theology is. Uh, the mother and the daughter began to listen to this, and by the end of the program, um, as a result of being introduced to Daniel, we also study the first six chapters in Daniel, and when she realized that astrology and the sorcery and all of this was condemned by the Bible, she says, no one ever told me that in the Catholic Church. I had no idea these texts were here in the Bible, and I didn't realize there was a problem with sorcery and all of these things. Um, uh, the mother and daughter went home to burn their books and to enter this new way of life. And they are going to be um, having Bible studies with the father of the daughter who introduced her to the program, uh, who's quite a soul winner himself. And so their hearts and minds are open. Their depression went away. The suicidal thoughts went away. And these were utilizing the same principles that we talked about um, today. So I would like to uh, encourage you uh, that these principles work every time they're utilized. And I would uh, uh, like to tell you that even the most severe, austere, and hopeless cases, uh, be, because of the way our brain was created, our brain can change in positive ways. And uh, I would, um, I hope this has been helpful to you. Now I notice we are down to nine minutes and I will find a way for you to get this um, quiz, um, maybe, if I have your contact information. Uh, I still want to give an award um, to the uh, uh, individual that um, uh, does the best on this quiz. And uh, I would like to refer you, let me see if I can uh, find it here on my uh, screen, but I would like to uh, refer you to uh, Nedley, uh, health Online, I think it's called. Let me see if I can uh, uh, find this. And you'll be able to find a lot more resources and uh, also be able to um, access a lot more. We do have uh, these programs now in an online format, uh, and it can be pretty amazing. 
in regards to the changes that can take place without you even coming to the program and utilizing these uh, online principles. So I think it's nedleyhealthonline.com and uh, uh, you'll be able to find more. So at this point, let me go back to our my Zoom. I was trying to find that particular website. It is nedleyhealthonline.com. I'm sorry I don't have it written on the screen, but if you would write that down, that could give you uh, more resources. And I will go back to um, Zoom at this time and uh, see if there are any questions. I have a question. Uh, we talked about agricultural work and the benefits of soil bacteria. So would you recommend to not use gardening clothes so the, the soil can touch the hands actually or is this irrelevant? irrelevant? Yeah, so how is that soil bacteria uh, working? Um, it is working with our interaction with the hands, but it might be actually also interacting with the, um, with the air itself as we uh, internalize uh, some of those um, healthy uh, cytokines and bacteria. But uh, certainly the studies show just working with the soil with our hands produces that positive effect. Anyone else? I'm looking through the chats. Yeah, we don't uh, have real questions over there. Just okay, uh, no questions over there. Okay. So let uh, me, let me hey, get rid of I've the got chat. a question. I've got a okay. question. Uh, okay. Before you were talking about um, uh, a bit of music and that, you know, straight drum versus syncopated drum. Um, so I wanted to ask, um, I don't know whether you've heard like Scottish drum or like kind of like uh, when they play their pipes and the drums that they play with their pipes um i just wanted to ask about them uh personally i found them i don't know probably innocent as one would say probably lack of a better term but i don't know whether they are as innocent if as they're I syncopated they or straight yeah i don't know if they're syncopated or straight either uh, i'd have to listen to it it's pretty easy to figure that out um but uh uh, there can be um, straight drum rhythms. Uh, it's going to tend to be, as I mentioned, uh, one of the effects of the straight drum that makes you want to get up and march around the room. So if it's more marching around, uh, that sort of thing, it's probably healthy. All right, thank you. I don't actually have a, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, I don't have a question, but I had left a little testimony in the chat. <laughs> thank you, Junior. All right, good. Would like to repeat it? Okay, yeah, I can repeat what I wrote. What basically what happened was, uh, I like, see, I, I grew up in church. I was sorry, baptized, but I didn't really know God like really well, and uh, so, but I didn't really have like I didn't even know how. I, I had like grown up addicted to the internet, like computer game, computer games, whatever, and I I never really had friends, never had. Uh, didn't even like never connected with anybody like I never opened like I was never vulnerable with anybody I was always like in my own little world I never opened up to anybody in my life and then 
in church like the first time I ever opened up about anything it was like oh no they they, it's like they just ignored me like whatever (laughs) but then but you know what's interesting though is that even though that happened God helped me to realize well you don't put your trust in people you put your trust in God so it's like (laughs) that's what helped me realize okay well it took me a while to get over that and then what's interesting is I mean this I find it like this thing that I'm watching now actually is really interesting because last week, literally, I just out of the blue, one day I was just resting. And I think prayer was a lot to do with it because I was I was going through doing a 40 days of prayer with GYC Atlantic, actually. And I, one prayer request I actually made was about this issue. And then literally out of the blue, like last Monday, I was actually just resting because I was like, didn't sleep well. And somehow the thought occurred to me social media excessive social media use was distorting away my way of thinking of i wasn't even thinking things that were not true about people who had ignored me i was making i was like thinking oh they just they're just they just hate me or they're just you know uh, like maybe they're just hypocrites or something but then i realized oh i get it no it's not that wasn't the point the point is that i was using the internet so much to the point where i was not even really considering like it, I like for me, the internet was reality, but for the other people, that's not the case. They have a real life, you know. They're not addicted to the internet, you know. <laughs> Thank you for sharing so, that. Yeah, it's really awesome. We have a, we have another question, or and now the questions are actually coming in. What uh, what were the steps for changing distorted thoughts? Okay, so um, you mean the the statistics about changing distorted thoughts? I see just where were the steps for changing. Well, you mentioned about like, I think you started getting into prayer, but I missed what was right after that. Oh, I was um, probably talking about the difference between Eastern meditation and Western meditation. Okay. Um, And Western meditation has an ethical construct um, along with its uh, meditation. Eastern meditation, you're emptying your mind or you are actually told not to think about uh, things in a judgmental way. And so in other words, there's no right or wrong, uh, be totally non-judgmental in your meditation. And of course, that is the opposite of Western meditation. Western meditation has an ethical construct in it. And so we actually are asked to see what is right and what is wrong. Uh, There is something that is truth and error. Uh, and if we can meditate that way, we have a far better um, uh, cognitive response and far better change in our brain. And we're not just producing an end result of a feeling, um, a feeling at one with the universe or feeling more peaceful. Um, and uh, Eastern meditation has not actually been shown to improve morality. Um, and uh, they were even looking at it in regards to the treatment of animals. They thought that if you were an Eastern meditator, you would treat animals better. And of course, Eastern meditators often are into vegetarianism. And so they thought the Eastern meditation might be leading them that direction. And they actually found out it wasn't. The Eastern meditation actually caused them to treat animals worse uh, than if they were not East, uh, meditating. And so that was one of the randomized controlled trials um, that um, was done on Eastern meditation showing the risks involved. Okay, thank you. Thank you. There's another question. The balls, for example, is this good music? And then we have another question about sunglasses and so on. But first the one. 
waltz? Are there good music, Dr. Natalie? Waltzes. Well, uh, waltzes uh, uh, can be straight rhythms. Uh, they're three, four timing. Um, and um, it is probably not as healthy when we take a look at it as 4-4 timing. So if you want to look at degrees of health, um, the 2-4 or 2-2 or 4-4 or timing uh, would have some superiority over the, um, the, the, the three, uh, the beats of three, which is basically what waltzes are. Uh, waltzes, it's a lot easier to dance to. And so that was the, the way prior to syncopated rock and roll rhythms, that was the way in which um, the, um, the attractive dances uh, could be uh, performed more easily. Um, but it's not been shown to be, as far as on the brain is concerned, um, at least um, near as harmful as the music that we talked about earlier, uh, where it's going to actually worsen eight different character attributes in you in regards to long-term health, and that would be the syncopated rock and roll rhythms. Thank you very much. The next question, yesterday you said something about the blue light therapy. Is it, oh, sorry. <laughs> is it, is it exist, existing anything like sunglasses or other dispositive to use? Could you recommend a brand? Yes, yeah, so as far as the light box is concerned, it's Philips um, that has, is the medical grade um, light therapy. Uh, but as far as the glasses are concerned, uh, we just actually formed a contract uh, with the company that makes the wearables. If you have glasses, you can put it on top of your glasses, it'll still come through but it's a wearable that just comes up here and is actually shining that blue light into you as you're doing your daily activities. And uh, that is the, um, it's, it's normally um, a lot more expensive than the blue light, uh, but uh, we actually, where we got into a contract with them is they wanted us to utilize this since we're one of the uh, promoters of, of light therapy here in the US. And we told them we'd utilize it only if we could get the, the same price for the Philips light box. And so if you get on our, our website, um, it's uh, drnedley.com and you go to the store, you will see the brand and you will see the, um, uh, the light wearables um, that can be very helpful for mental health. And there is another question, unfortunately in Spanish. Um, I what I can co uh, get out of it. It's about percussion and not rhythmic music and something about the instruments. Um, are you fluent in Spanish, Doctor? I can I can read Spanish. It says the instruments of percussion uh, that stimulate the per people persons easily. Meanwhile, uh, strong implacable uh, beat i don't know what that means are very inappropriate since they have an effect a negative effect in the mind and stimulate the persons easily uh, yeah, through a beat a strong beat a constant beat the, yeah i guess they're just I think it's just a commentary about like what you said or something yeah it sounds know. like confirmation of what i was just saying and we see so much of that music in our, in our program, people coming with that history, even the girl who was uh, attempting 
uh, wanting to end her life and cutting herself everywhere. She had scars everywhere as a teenager on her extremities. And um, uh, she was also uh, not only into these books, but in the music that was very harmful as well. And uh, we will see those, those patterns coming together in the more severe mentally ill cases. And the next question, uh, do you help people with uh, schizophrenia? Okay, we do have people with psychosis. Depression itself can produce psychosis, hallucinations and delusions. Uh, if it's severe, uh, what we call psychotic depression, or those with schizoaffective disorders, where they're starting to have hallucinations due to other things like marijuana-induced psychosis, uh, or those sorts of things. And so um, we do allow those, pro those people into our program if it's based on depression, anxiety, or drug-induced. Uh, but uh, at this point in time, we do not have a program for schizophrenia itself. Uh, we are in the, in the process of forming this program. It re requires different cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, so it's hard to find therapists that are versed in this. But the CBT aspect of things will actually help better than the drugs in helping them to understand what's real and what isn't and only to react with reality. And actually the brain starts to get better over time. Plus there are some brain chemical issues that um, are important to deal with as well that we didn't go into here, the genetics and the epigenetics uh, that we do on every patient, whether they have depression or anxiety, so we can see specifically what's going to be very important for them to obtain a normal biochemistry. So uh, it's in the planning stages, but we haven't rolled it out yet. And why are there still people in the church with depression or anxiety? I think I can. My experience sort of answers that, but I don't know. That's my thought. Let him, let the experts say. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> well, the... Uh, we mentioned Elijah yesterday. Um, Elijah was a church member. He was a prophet. He was actually, um, you know, a, a model um, Christian, uh, but he still experienced severe depression. And his depression uh, also had some lifestyle components, but in addition, it had some thinking components. And uh, he was overgeneralizing. That was his cognitive distortion. And the Lord had to correct that. He thought he was the only one that had not bowed the knee to Baal. And after working so hard his whole life to reform the nation and realizing that even after the Reformation, he was still the only one, you could see how that could get you pretty depressed and want to die because what, what purpose is there left in life? And the Lord had to tell him, you're not only wrong, you're wrong by a factor of 7,000 and then had to give him three things to do um, to help his thinking as well as his lifestyle components, and Elijah completely recovered. So um, it is possible, even as, as um, Christians that may be saved, um, to still experience um, depression, and God wants to help them out as well. And interestingly, Elijah is the one that was translated without seeing death. So it tells us that God has tremendous sympathy for those that have um, depression and even want to die and wants to get them better. And that's our forerunner up in heaven that was translated without seeing death. And our last question for today, can animals also have with depression and mental health? Dr. Natalie. Yes, animals in a little different way. Animals don't have the ability to so much reflect upon themselves because they don't have the frontal lobe capacity. 
And it's reflecting upon ourself that often brings about depression uh, or anxiety. And, uh, and so, uh, but animals can get depressed. Um, you know, even uh, a certain viral exposure can cause animals to have fatigue and apathy and lack of motivation. And those are some of the characteristic principles of depression. They can also get overly anxious and very hyper and afraid of everything as well. And so, yes, animals can experience it. And uh, uh, we've even had animals that experienced anxiety. In fact, I was motivated to start an anxiety recovery program in animals when I had a dog who had high anxiety. <laughs> Uh, and some of the same principles can actually work for animals as what works for mankind as well. But I guess the, the question, thanks a lot for uh, answering this question, uh, but I guess it went also in the direction, can animals help um, by, uh, if you are coping with depression? And oh yes, very good. In fact, I meant to bring that out when we saw that picture of Nathan Green, pet therapy is what we call it. And uh, yes, our interaction with animals can be very healthy for the brain. And uh, this is uh, something that particularly dogs can also help us with. A lot of the pet therapy has to do with dogs. But, you know, when the fall came to mankind, uh, animals uh, changed their relationship to human beings. But there's only one animal that God kept to have a little bit of that relationship with humanity, and it was dogs, so we would understand how all of the animals used to be. And so dogs can have that empathy relationship. They want to help us. Uh, they want to be around us. Uh, they like interacting with us. They, they enjoy obeying our commands. Uh, and uh, as we train dogs and as we interact with dogs, um, it can actually uh, help our mental health. And that's been shown in some nice trials uh, called uh, pet therapy. Not all dogs will help us with that. Uh, but uh, there are certain dogs in particular, um, the ones who, um, who are more trained to be kind to humans and, and uh, love interacting with humans, those are the kind that tend to produce a significant benefit with even a few times of interacting with the, with the dog. Okay, I guess uh, it's time to uh, wrap up our workshop. Uh, you, uh, Dr. Natalie, you uh, offered the quiz. I would suggest that the people in the chat who want to receive this, um, uh, this quiz, please email me. I put my email into the chat and then I will make sure that it's get, getting through to you, uh, that you get the quiz. All right, very good. And we'll have a little award for the uh, winner of it uh, and they'll be able to um, uh, get some free materials from our website. So. Wow, thank uh, you so much. I encourage all of you to take it and it'll be an educational experience for you. Yeah, thank you so much. Would you mind to close uh, this, uh, to wrap up and close this uh, workshop uh, with a prayer? Sure. Father in heaven, we thank you that the principles that you utilize to bring this world and animals and birds and us, as well as all of the plants and flowers and water into existence, these same principles can be utilized to recreate our brain to be in your image. We thank you that you created us in your image, the ability to have creative uh, powers ourselves in being able to design and accomplish advanced planning and thinking, uh, and also the ability to discern truth 
and to exercise compassionate love for others. And we pray, Lord, that as we incorporate each of these principles in our life, that you would add the blessing to the power of your word and that you might transform our own brains into your likeness so that we can help others uh, that are struggling so much today with mental um, compromise and depression and anxiety and so many other mental diseases. And we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. Bless each participant in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Natalie, for the time which you have given us and the insights and recommendations. Thank you so much for, for your time. You're very welcome. Bye-bye now.